We're gonna make two 15 second pieces a week no matter what. Even if we don't like the idea, if we don't think it's good, instead of waiting to be inspired, we're just gonna create an inspirational follow and that's what we actually found to be true. So, so now like the Harry Potter video was one of those videos that you know, in our writing room, it was just like, hey, we love Harry Potter. You know, be fun is we could levitate with a mirror. Let's grab a skateboard and go shoot that this week. This is Creative Disruption, the intersection where entertainment, data, and creativity meet. Here's your hosts, Ricky Ray Butler and Daryl Leaves. Welcome everybody back to the Creative Disruption Podcast, where we talk about with people that are actually disrupting the industry and things that are actually making the industry change because it's a disruption. That's what the, the podcast is all about. And I'm joined by my uh, co-host, Ricky Ray Butler. How you doing, Ricky? I'm doing fantastic. How you doing, Daryl? Doing good. I just I, like I, I like the hair. What's going on right now? You I know, mean, it's I pretty slick. To put some product in my hair. Um, I'm trying to be you know very fashion forward. <laughs> Wait, you're sure always fashion forward. Back here too. Like, like <laughs> there's the first time I remember going to your place and you shaved half your head. I'm like, dude, you only shaved half your head. You're like, dude, you're so out of style, man. You're stuck in the <laughs> yeah. 80s. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're one person that's pretty shameless about fashion device. Advice. Hey, me. Let, let me let me tell you, I I can say this that I I always wear a black shirt. I pretty much wear the same type of black shirt. I buy. Yeah, but it's the same in, black shirt every day. No, it's like it. literally a 12 pack on Amazon. Wait, 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 that is, I it, buy. Is, it a, is it the same black shirt every? day it, it used Answer, to be but baby, be, I'm honest, like, be honest it, it used to be i just get the 12 pack now so i just have one <laughs> per day and then just kind of go from there but it's just so you much know, that, easier that's actually very awesome some... that's there's some logic behind that <laughs> <laughs> and i know i know with you you with your gucci slippers and all that other stuff well, i mean you're true. always you're always just just trending for sure but uh i i know that people like you know, watching this podcast care less about this or more about talking about you know, the creation market entertainment. And I'm really excited for t today's guest because if there's ever a time in the world that exists for this creator, it is now. <laughs> it's like, it is now. And, and I think the audience that's out there, especially this generation that's coming up, is meant to watch his content. Do you wanna just kind of do a little intro to our, for our guest? Absolutely. No, we're very lucky to have Zach King. And so just a couple of thoughts on Zach. Zach is someone that's both an innovator and a pioneer um, in our industry. He's an OG, but also the most relevant creator, one of the most relevant creators you know, of our time. He's the largest um, creator on TikTok that, that, that's Mel. And, and, and I think that, you know, <laughs> like, I'm glad you had to clarify that. Yeah. Melio and, and all, you know, um, all the women that are above him. But like um, something that I remember about Zach is we were early on as we were doing you know, gaming projects there were not a lot of people to work with when it came to live action. And I remember working with him early on with Ubisoft, then also later with Disney, and then also with toy companies. And it's very rare where you can find a creator that has content that's appealing to all demographics. And, and he's, you know, I would say someone that's very data-driven, does a lot of testing. When Vine was a thing, he was one of the top creators on Vine, and that helped explode you know, his content and, 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 and following on a bunch of other um, platforms as well. And so super honored to have Zach King here with us. Zach, thank you so much for joining us. Of course, thanks for having me. I remember that first project we did together. You know, it's funny, that was probably, if not the first, one of the very first projects. I mean, that was probably 12 years ago. Um, it was on YouTube and it was one of the first sponsors that reached out with legitimate money. And back then it was like, you know, probably in, the, in just like a thousand or two thousand dollars. But I remember that video we made um, because it, it turned into like this thing. I spent like four times the budget I was paid for because I just was so <laughs> excited to finally have the trust of a brand, like a brand that my parents would, would have heard of, you know, somebody like a household name brand. And uh, yeah, so it's kind of just the projects and work and the whole landscape of the internet and the kind of the way we do the industry as a creator has changed since, you know, watching over the last 12 years, it's been a fascinating ride. For sure. And you were, I remember you geeking out and I think you didn't have employees back then. You're right. collaborating with some of your college friends. I hired my sister. I hired some of my roommates, anyone on the floor. When I lived on a floor with, in a dorm at the time with uh, probably like 40 or 50 other guys in this dorm hallway. And I remember running out of the room, like, I got this Ubisoft project or whatever. And they were all like, we'll help you. It's like, it was like fun. It was like the whole demographic was right there on the floor. No, yeah, well, no, it, it, yeah, it was great. 
Yeah, it's right awesome. And, and two, like, I actually learned about you through Ricky, believe it or not. And he's like, um, he's like, hey, because we've been friends for, for quite some time. He goes, you got to check out this new creator, Zach Ging. And I'm like, okay, I got to see his stuff. And when I actually watched the first video, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is so relevant, so needed, so creative. Um, and I, I've been following you ever since. And I, I've actually been able to see you evolve quite a bit, not only just as a, as a content creator, but as a business as well. And as you're mm -hmm. going from there, uh, would you mind just taking a second, like, like what, why do you create content and what does it mean to you as a businessman? Yeah. I mean, first and foremost, uh, I, I view myself as a filmmaker at heart. That's the main passion and goal of mine. Ever since I was a little kid, you know, I, I fell in love with Spielberg movies and all the movies that really captured my generation of, of, of filmmakers. We looked up to all these directors and producers. And for me, like the fact that 24 frames a second and through a series of music and sound and dialogue could have such an emotional impact on you at whatever age you watched it, like that was exciting to me. I remember growing up going to, you know, Blockbuster or, or, or a Hollywood video, which are, I don't think they're around, but we'd rent movies on like Friday, Saturday night with my family and try to watch them in the one night before, you know, getting the additional fees, the late fees the next day. So we'd watch them and I'd rewatch those VHSs over and over. I just fell in love with filmmaking. And so the fact that, you know, fast forward to today, I've been able to grow my own platforms and distribute the content by the push of a button. That's, it still kind of blows my mind every day that we have that distribution power because it was just, you know, 20 years ago, I'd have to go to a store rent this thing and now like the, even just the landscape of youtube is one of the most beautiful things i've ever seen the fact that anyone can grab a camera and publish and have and have the potential to build an audience that's so powerful and so that's where i'm at with my journey today and it's been just along the way figuring out the platforms um and the different business models we need to help complement you know our passion which is the end of the day filmmaking telling short form and also uh you know eventually some longer form material as well yeah and i like i want to do a follow-up question because i think this is really important too but out of the gate um i i noticed something as soon as ricky kind of uh kind of in, introduced me to you and and your videos and stuff like that but even though that a lot of the stuff that you do is there's not a lot of verbal interaction, there's a lot of storytelling that's involved in it. Mm -hmm. And it's very thought out and it's very processed. Like the one um, that I, I even remember to this day, there's certain videos you just like kind of click with you. And it was the furniture one that you did a couple years ago or a year ago. I mean, mm -hmm. that was by far one of the most beautiful storytelling videos that I've seen on the internet. Like it, it was that great because you didn't know what's going to happen next. And it, you, I mean, you totally led me through that journey. And then I just, I always thought, okay, this is what it is. And then boom, juxtaposition and something else changes from that. Um, so the follow-up question I have is, when did you when did you start that process of realizing what your niche was and what your content actually is? It took me a long time to figure out my my voice as a creator. And, I, and I'm still figuring that out to this day. And it, it's a, a really fun process of just becoming an artist. but. When I, when I was in uh, film school, I, I had first applied to film school, didn't get in, eventually just sat in the back of the classes. But it's during that time when I wasn't officially you know, enrolled as a student, I didn't have the homework. So I needed this output, like I wanted my, my peers to be able to rate my work and see it, but I wasn't in the class officially, so I didn't get to, a chance to present. And so it turned over to YouTube. This is 2007, 2008 at the time. So I start posting my short film work on YouTube. And, and you know, it's funny, like, in the terms of the landscape, it was like I was also posting on Vimeo, Daily Motion, uh, I think even Yahoo Video, just to get it out there, get my work seen, um, and build a small community. And again, there was no AdSense. It wasn't like today where you might have a young creator thinking like I'm going to go do this and turn this into a business. It wasn't that. It was just uh, an outpouring of creativity and wanting others to see it and share it. And um, YouTube ended up being a front runner in that. And I was building a small community. I mean, it was maybe 20 or 30,000 subscribers on there. Again, no ad revenue, but it was just posting tutorials of saying, here's a short film I made, here's how I made it, here's, this, here's literal tutorials, here's um, some cool plugins I found, here's, here's plugins I made and, and developed. And I was just putting them out there on this small YouTube community. And over the years, um, really in the first year or two, I noticed the comments saying like, hey, we'd love to see more of the short film stuff. Like we love the tutorials, but really like we wanna see your narrative skills. 
And for me, that was a challenge. It was like, okay, they're not fully, you know, they're liking the tutorials, but they're not fully entertained. Like, I do want to do that long term. So I need to figure out how to do that. And I started making these two to three minute short films that I would emphasize the tutorial aspect later. Maybe it was adding a lightsaber, um, like I did with the short film called Jedi Kittens. Right. And I just early on learned how to um, create short films that would capture, you know, it was crazy. Back then, a million views was actually a lot. Two million views was like super viral. It'd be on, it'd get you on the news back then. I think today it probably takes 20 or 30 million views to, you know, hit the, the front page of Good Morning America now on broadcast. But it's like those videos were hitting that and uh, making the news. And every Friday, we just the challenge was over the weekend on the side of my schoolwork could I make a short film that I released on Monday and we hit the same thing. And over time, you know, I didn't hit my voice though. I was still just throwing stuff against the wall, um, splashes of different colors, seeing what mixed and what, what worked well. But really the stride, when I hit my stride, it was actually on Vine. And I think a big part of that was on constraints. You know, Vine, for those of you that remember, were, was six seconds and it looped over and over on, on just your phone. And to me, that really challenged me when I signed up for that platform and made um, under the special effects category that they had. It really challenged me and gave me creative constraints. Like one, the time limit is like six seconds. I, when I signed up, I was like, that's so easy. Like I'm making these five minute YouTube videos that take me two months a piece uh, by myself and with a friend. Like, heck, I can make two of these vines a day. But it turned out, you know, after I started making them, you realize quickly, you could make them, but if they weren't hitting, it was like you, you still had to have the, the narrative structure of a story, the beginning, the middle and end and a great twist and, 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 all, and foreshadow that somehow in the first second and like the joke had to land, all these little nuances you start picking up on and that was my real training ground for finding my voice. So when young creators ask me now like, hey, how do I quickly, um, you know, maybe it's not quickly, but how do I find my voice and narrow down on that, my approach is, do a similar training where you make one or two short pieces, like maybe it's 10 seconds, maybe it's five, um, but giving yourself that constraint actually gives you more freedom in your creative process and forces you to iterate quicker. And so as we continue, you know, my team and I to build content, we still try to implement that Vine type of mentality, like how can we break this series quicker? How can we watch this series even sooner before putting it out and finding out it fell flat with the audience and we spent all this money on it. Like, how do we actually watch this thing earlier on? And so um, our goal is just constant iteration with the content. But I'd say in terms of when I started finding my stride on The Voice, it was around that time, 2012, 2013, when I signed up for Vine. That's amazing. I remember, even though we worked together before Vine existed, just finding you organically on Vine and thinking, whoa, this, this guy's flexing. This guy's taking like, you know, um, graphics and like, you know, um, Final Cut King, I mean, Final Cut and everything and like doing Final things that King. other lines <laughs> are not doing, you know, and, 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 and using After Effects and, and actually having storylines. And, and I remember that, like, how impressive that was. And that really was the platform where you just started to become way more mainstream, correct? Where you just exploded? That's the platform where it switched where, you know, YouTube, maybe I, I think I had around 300, 400,000 subscribers, mm -hmm. which was substantial. And they started rolling out the, the AdSense program. But really, I was still only bringing in, I just looked this up the other day, fourteen dollars to $1,500 a month. So like 20-something dollars a year, which was great for me as a, you know, I just graduated college. I could, and I was living <laughs> in a house of eight or nine guys in the garage. Like I, I could, I was fine. Um, basically eating kind of the, the ramen startup style. But for me, um, all of a sudden after Vine came out, within two or three months, and I've never seen anything like it since, maybe until recently with TikTok, um, that I couldn't go out to, to get lunch anymore at Panera, you know, without being stopped by five, six people. So that's, that's what changed um, is the, the public recognition of it. It's amazing what Vine did to this like creator economy and to this like ecosystem that we're in today. You know, there's like the Vine evasion on YouTube where like a lot of the top tier, you know, high growth creators in the last, you know, five to 10 years, you know, a lot of them came from, you know, Vine and migrating over. Now, being that it was so influential and looking back as a creator, what, what advice would have you given Vine in their, in, in their, you know, relationship with the community that could have maybe 
potentially made them more competitive today where they didn't have to sh- you know, shut the lights off. Is there anything that they could have done? You, you know, I, was, I, wasn't, um, I wasn't in really deep with anyone over at Vine, so I can't really speak to so that's the what problem. their challenges were. <laughs> but um, I think that, that to be said, uh, you know, the, when I look at it now, like I should have been tight with somebody there. Um, and that's not necessarily the fault of them. But when I look at platforms today, um, they're, they're focusing down and, and helping build those relationships as, as they should be with the creators and, 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 and young and top tier creators. I think both need uh, kind of that hotline or that help and that mentorship from some of the platforms. And um, so that's, that's the big difference that, I, that, you know, since Vine, most platforms have kind of a community that helps the creators uh, along, along the way, which. Yeah, and I, I think right. too, one of the biggest mistakes that, that Vine made um, and other platforms will make is if, if there's no incentive for creators, and what I mean incentive, it's like, how do you make money with this, right? Yeah, yeah you can integrate a brand, you can do whatever, but how are you gonna support creators making money um, and I think that right now is like the more money that you're going to make, the more that you're going to invest into your company because you're a creator, you're going to create content and that's the ecosystem from there. And then two, when you're able to get the satisfaction of creation and then it also is building your business, you're going to be more apt to, you know, have better performing content. And I think, I think Vine was so great because of the attention span of the, of the new viewer, right? And it's like every, every second is well thought out, right? Every second is really accounted for and it leads to something um, where I can't say that on YouTube. I mean, there's some, you know, some people, you know, takes 20 minutes before they get to the point instead of getting right on, on target and really say, okay, we, we have that controlled narrative. Let's go ahead and make sure that we get through this because if not, they're never gonna engage with it. We're never gonna grow. We're never gonna go from there. Um, and so I, I, I'm very curious though, because now, uh, you've been able to grow very, very quickly on TikTok, which I've been really excited about because I think TikTok's really a disruptive platform on mul- multiple uh, levels. But could you, do, would you say that a lot of the stuff that you learned on Vine translated over to TikTok or is there kind of a, kind of things that you learned along the way that helped you better perform on TikTok? Yeah, I mean, it absolutely did have something to do with it. What I always look for in a platform and what intrigued me about TikTok back when it was, you know, I was logged on on, it was 2015, 2016 when it was still called Musical.ly. Um, so it was years, three years. And I remember almost being weird um, that I was on the platform, like felt like, oh, this is strange because I'm almost interacting with a bunch of 16 year olds posting these lip syncing songs. But what was intriguing to me was one, the community that felt like was building there but also the fact that you, it was a new creative output. Like people, of course, I remember being um, a young high schooler and I wanted to like limp sync with my sisters, but there was no platform that merged it and all did it for us. We, had, it, we did it for fun because I knew how to edit in Final Cut Pro. And so uh, for me, seeing that fact that music was being paired to it was a really intriguing part. And I was also watching, um, I don't know if it's around anymore, but Dub Smash at the time was yeah. also equally intriguing. And it was more, you know, we weren't able to build like a following there and it, it, you know, had other issues. But um, for me, TikTok, like we always look at these platforms that just creatively kind of spark our imagination and we can all of a sudden do a little bit more than we could before. And it gives us these other ideas. Like uh, there's just a different energy when they're going to put music to your stuff. And that's what we thought. Um, But absolutely, like the storytelling is all still the same. And I think over the years, we're going to find like the long tail of this is really that the story is what matters. It's not, you know, hacking the algorithms. I see so many things on the for you page. It's like, okay, here's the number one way that you're going to get on. And like all these little shortcut and hacks or whatever, one, they're going to constantly change over the years based on a, an algorithm tweak. But I want to see hacks that are really helping the story, whether it's 15 seconds or 15 minutes or an hour and 15, like there's just good storytelling that needs to happen. And that, so that's what we focus on first when we're, we're developing these things. It isn't even how do we, you know, sure, we're thinking about what's the attention grabbing kind of frame or what's the, what's the thing that gets their attention in three seconds. But usually sometimes we throw those out the window completely if we feel like, you know, no, the piece really works better if you really, you gradually get into it and it works up and then, but we're laying all these fun story hints and then it has this payoff. Like for us, we're just trying to make stuff that we, we enjoy watching even if it doesn't hit every checklist of, you know, what the, the algorithm hack might be that month. Yeah. 
I, I think the biggest thing that I'm the most impressed with is a lot of people focus in on the first, you know, few seconds, few, you know, getting them into it. But I think you spend more time, and this is just an outside observer, of the last uh, few seconds because they generally yeah. will watch it again. Um, and as I say, it's like, man, I wondered why he, he cut off at this certain time and, you know, did that. And I, I, I know because they're watching it again so they can get that payoff again because it's just it ends pretty quick or however you're engaging with it. Um, could you kind of just take us through that process of like, and I, I mean, you don't have to go into super detail, but like of breaking up a TikTok video and where you put your, you know, your emphasis and what you want them to do, like the, the general goal of it? Yeah. Well, we kind of deliver on a promise. Like we're, we're in the business of, of surprise. Like that's what my team does, whether we're making, you know, our videos an ad or like some real life installation, like it's got to be surprising. And, and that thing that um, draws you in a little bit is the water watermark of my face. I got the best advice years ago from Freddie Wong who and Brandon Lash, who took me out to, and you guys would know, they took me out to oh, lunch yeah. at oh, yeah. this burrito place They're in great. LA and we're like, hey, and this is back when I was behind behind the scenes, like, you know, I was almost gonna work for them behind the scenes. Like, and they were like, hey, you know, what you're doing on YouTube is starting to work, but like put yourself in front of the camera, stop being behind the camera, cause it'll just be a little watermark. And that was one of the best advice I got. And so now when we approach a TikTok video or any, any kind of video for that matter, we know my face is kind of the watermark that if anyone sees, the, and they may have seen our stuff before, they'll remember that we delivered some sort of magical surprise or a fun story. So we want it to be like, okay, you recognize the Zach video, and now just pay attention. Like we're gonna, we're, gonna, um, we're gonna deliver on this promise of like, okay, you're watching, you're giving us your 15, 20 seconds, but at the end, we're gonna build up these fun elements that you almost should have known what the ending was gonna be. You should have known it was gonna happen. And it's that like, as a viewer, when you watch it, we want you to have the feeling of like, oh, it was kind of right in front of me. Like he gave me all the hints. He gave me all the clues. It's like when, when a magician's doing a trick and you know they are, but we're having you look over here at the story element or something else while we're doing this over here. And it's that little bit of, of distraction, that sleight of hand. And, um, you know, it's kind of a digital sleight of hand now. And, and, and that's what we, but the, it's for us all story payoff. It has to be, it's not about how cool the visual trick is. Like that's awesome to have. And that's a big plus if we can make it more visual and, and have it be, you know, maybe it's a cool stunt or maybe it's a cool explosion or whatever, but it doesn't always have to be that. It can also be really simple. Um, it just comes down to the cohesiveness of the story. One thing we love to do though, um, when you talk about watch time, is we do see a huge increase watch time when it does a perfect loop. And, and so that's where yeah. you know, we spend a lot of time in development just to wonder like, okay, can we actually do something clever in the story and the camera framing and the camera work to, to loop it back to the beginning? And sometimes the viewers don't know they're watching the same thing. Like they may think there's a different version or sometimes we do deliver on that. And three loops in, we actually change it. So there's a lot of fun techniques to keep the audience guessing but for us that's the goal like if we stop delivering on surprise then you know that's when we're out of business yeah and that's that's one thing that you do really well i know when i'm going to watch it, your videos of that that sort is there's always going to be something that i i know that i'm going to catch but i don't catch it and it, it's always that surprise and delight um but you you literally end it very quickly that i have to watch it again so I, you're getting a couple views out of me at least per video well <laughs> Have you seen the Harry Potter illusion? Oh my gosh! Yes, Zach? yeah. So that, that Zach, was let's. I believe that's the record-breaking um, highest viewed video on TikTok. Am I correct? They, yeah, that's what I've heard. They just sent me a Guinness World Record plaque for it, actually, and so it's pretty <laughs> wild. Like when that video came out, it um it broke TikTok's algorithm for how the view counter specifically, and like actually went reverse negative because it restarted counting from zero. It was weird. Estimately around like two the first, the first video views. got reverse negative yeah, in the world on TikTok. Weird, I don't know, one of our programmers on the team was trying to explain it to me. He's like, when the counter, they didn't think a video would get this much, so like the counter broke basically. <laughs> well, like how, how many views was it total? Did they ever figure that out? Was it over like two billion? Yeah, I was, was yeah, something like two billion views, two point something. So um, that, that to me is amazing, especially not to talk about Brandel specifically, but when you see that there's like sponsorships that are a couple million for less than 10 million views, like, like for example, at the Oscars. I mean, nothing like this is happening in television today, anywhere. Um, I mean, this is all happening on, you know, um, the social platforms, which is amazing. But so what happened to, you know, with the Zach King's um, Harry Potter illusion, 
like, did you know it was going to be that big? And um, what, what, what were your expectations? And then what was a little bit of the strategy? Yeah, of course not. I, of course, no one could uh, predict that. For us, the strategy, you know, years ago, after Vine took off, and this is pre-TikTok, I was, uh, you know, I just signed up when it was called Musical.ly. I was going through this almost existential crisis, but I was sleeping uh, terribly every night and wondering, like, are my best ideas gone? Like, I think I've literally milked, we had made maybe a 1,200 videos, which is a lot of videos. And I kept thinking, like, that's 1,200 really good ideas, and I'm kind of done. And I, what I started to do in my content strategy was, like, waiting for the muse to drop on me or one of the team members and come up with a new video idea. And sometimes that would lead to, like, these dry spells of, like, several weeks where I wouldn't post. I, w I wasn't feeling inspired, right, uh, creatively, so we wouldn't make anything. And I was shutting down all these great ideas because I was, like, it wasn't... I always thought they had to up each other. You know, we got in this rhythm of, like, well, we did a a big stunt gag last time, like an, uh, an explosion the time before. Now, can, what's bigger than that? We got to do some crazy set thing. But it stopped us and hindered us from making anything. So um, a few years ago, we decided, you know, know what? We're going to actually make two videos a week, no matter what. These are the 15-second pieces. Um, we're going to make two 15-second pieces a week, no matter what. Even if we don't like the idea, if we don't think it's good, because we know having that that goal will actually just be throwing stuff against the wall. And as creators, we thought instead of waiting to be inspired, we're just going to create an inspirational follow. And that's what we actually found to be true. So so now, like the Harry Potter video was one of those videos that, you know, in our writing room, it was just like, hey, we love Harry Potter. You know, it'd be fun is we could levitate with a mirror. Let's grab a skateboard and go shoot that this week. So we went out and shot it. Didn't overthink it. Wasn't one of our pieces that we went and, you know, usually we go reshoot. Um, there's a big... It's almost like the animation process. We kind of do mock-ups until we get the real thing and rework it and go shoot. It's not uncommon now to reshoot a video three or four times just to get it right. But that one happened to be a one-off. We got it in like a couple takes. Didn't think anything of it. Um, rewrote the soundtrack to kind of be a, like a little parody uh, of Harry Potter and, and put it out there. And yeah, it's just one of those pieces that you just don't expect. So I, I got a question about that specific piece, but... Did you get a lot of duets on that? Because I think, you know, I, I got some hypothesis, whatever, but I, I noticed that your content seems to get a lot of duets where people are reacting to your content. Uh, but did that have a higher than normal? You know what? I've duets? never, uh, to be honest, I've never looked at the number of duets. I don't click the little album button. So I, I, I think, yeah, I mean, it probably does have a massive amount of duets. Um, but I think the ones that we've seen people have, it's got to be a pretty big reveal in the video. And that allows, I noticed in the duets, them to have big facial reactions at the end, um, which kind of is a payoff to their audience. But um, I, yeah, I don't actually consume a lot of TikTok myself. Like people, uh, we had a gal here we were collaborating with yesterday and she was like, how do I stitch a video? And I was like, uh, <laughs> like talk to the wrong person. I don't, yeah, honestly, like uh, I, I make them and I, and I just upload them directly. I don't do any of the other special features anymore. So I don't know any of the, the hacks, but I, I imagine that one does. I'd be curious to know. Yeah, it probably does have a lot yeah. more duets. Well, I, I saw like your escape artist one where you're, you're, you're spray painting the ladder and stuff like that. It had a ton of duets on it. So yeah. I would assume that the other one did as well. But I don't know. I, I think it's fascinating and I, I love the, the culture. And I think when we did the introduction for you, like, I believe this is your time because the the audience right now is meant to uh, have an immediate payoff, the surprise and delight. And, you know, that's that's kind of where you thrive as a content creator. You know, I think that there's a lot of people that, you know, make amazing long form content, but you're so careful with every little second, every little frame. And, and I think you put a lot more energy into it and, and you validated that by, you know, you have to do reshoots and reshoots to reshoots and all that stuff from there. But um, what, what I wanna know from, from this perspective is um, as you're developing as a creator and you basically said, look, we don't need to one up, we just need to be consistent. Um, how did that change your business dynamic? And then what did it create opportunity wise for you? Yeah, I mean, there was the simple, the biggest thing, I mean, around that time, 2016, you can actually see, and if you Google trend my name, you'll see the slump we were in. It goes down for a couple of years because that's where we were maybe creating, it was as low as like 35 or 40 pieces a year. And so around that time, 2016, we were 17, we said, what's the thing that if we were doing in a year from now would probably have the biggest impact on our business? 
and the studio and we said well we'd be at least doubling from 40 to going to 80 pieces so we we hired some more team we strategized kind of how we could do the pipeline and from all the way from the writing room to post-production and be able to get 80 pieces doubling our capacity and so we did that and um, that's made the biggest impact and it's also allowed us you know one of the things I wasn't thinking about you know it was mostly thinking about um, doing one-off branded content for a long time my business was actually making commercials for other brands I might appear in it whether it's a Turkish Airlines safety video and if you're flying from LAX to wherever in Europe on a Turkish Airlines like you you'll see me at least back then doing the um, the safety video demonstration magically within like two and a half minutes <laughs> and so that's how that was our bread and butter we do commercials I'd be in them we'd be the production company but we weren't doing a lot of ad slots in our content and for a long time you know, when I was 12 years ago making YouTube videos, if you made an ad, you were called like a sellout. It was like this bad, like that has yeah. changed. That's completely changed. But I grew up with a little bit of that baggage of like always wondering like, oh, is the audience gonna think I'm selling out, but I love this product. But like, you know, and now I don't hear, I don't even see those comments anywhere. Like just the language has changed. And I think the, the dynamic between creator and audience, like their expectations, they understand that you might have a, a 30 second ad read in the middle of your video, a minute ad read, that's not uncommon now. And so that's the new piece. Once we had 80 pieces going a year, we decided like, okay, let's try out on a few of these, like the ad slot that everyone, that our favorite podcasts are doing, that our favorite YouTubers are also doing. And that opened up a different revenue stream that we didn't have before. So that actually, those ad slots are, are fairly new to us. And it's been, it's been fun now for us to figure out, okay, now that we've been doing those for two years or a year and a half getting comfortable with them, how do we like disrupt that? How do we do things that other people aren't doing? Is there different fun formats that we can do that are still um, hitting all, all the brand points? Like, I think we can have a lot of fun in that realm, but that again, wouldn't have been possible if we weren't upping the amount of content that we're doing. So that's been a- Yeah, a, but that would be a lot of trust coming from the brand to be able to one-up it. So like, hey, you gotta do it this specific way. Right. But I, like, I'm, a, I'm all fascinated, like what can you create? Like I, I wanna see brands to be able to say, okay, here, here's a creator like Mr. Beast or Zach King, just create and, and get us views. <laughs> like okay. I, I would love to see that because I think, um, you know, there's, there's certain things that brands go after but I don't think they understand the the organic impact that it can have if the creator is like not handcuffed and they're able to create and they understand the goals of what the the brand needs to 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 achieve. But they don't they don't meddle, you know. And I, I'd love to see that because I would love to see you know juxtaposition in you know a, a spot where you think it's a spot but it's not a spot but it is a spot, you know, something like that. Mm -hmm. But like, and this is maybe a question for Ricky, but how many brands are even thinking like this? Well, I think there's a lot more brands think about this, but to truly, you know, it's, it's one of those things where if brands want to be successful in this space, they have to lead with consensus. They, they have to be empowering the content rather than trying to, you know, do something distractive or disruptive. And, and one thing where I think Zach has a very special talent is he comes up with this beautiful idea and sets expectations on how it's going to work. And, 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 and so the different times where we've collaborated with you, Zach, it, it's been a walk in the park, at least from our perspective, maybe you're just being extra polite, but, but um, <laughs> the truth is, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's, it's the expectation is upfront of what the brand can expect is going to happen. And it's going to happen in a very beautiful way. That's consistent with Zach's programming. Yeah, that's huge is obviously keeping it. We're looking for brands and it's funny you mentioned brands that just want to throw you money and say do whatever. That was actually one of the, the weird experiences on Vine early days. It was, I think we were seeing a merge of these content creators getting more popular than they ever had, faster than they ever had. At the same time, brand figuring out like, okay, we're gonna, we're already, they had just been a couple years on Facebook doing digital spends and now the influencer was not a word, you know, uh, having an influencer campaign budget was not a thing. But all of a sudden they're throwing us money with no campaign briefs because they weren't developing for us. They were just saying, here's money, go make, here's like use a Coca-Cola in the video and uh, what can you do with it? And for us, it was like one of those popular videos we made early on was like, I, it was soda jetpack. I, I had soda on my feet, uh, strapped to my legs. And it was like, what if you shook them, filled it with Mentos and made it look like you were flying based on, on the, the thrust that it gave you. So for us, like, I mean, that video 
got hundreds and hundreds of millions of views throughout all its reposts and, and Coke was like super stoked. So, uh, you know, but now you're, you're given a carefully crafted brief, uh, certain KPI that they're looking for and different talking points and, uh, and, and how it rolls out. And it's all very planned and strategic, which is awesome. I understand that, but there is a, a balance and I think there'll be a, uh, a way as, as the influencer economy grows and develops and you, especially for brands to build trust with the influencers, it's still very young marketplace. Yeah. Um, it's, it's almost unpredictable. I would be a little nervous off as a brand giving a young, young creator some money and you're like, <laughs> I don't know if they're going to even deliver me back a video. Like it's just they're, they're The practices are so new. And, um, but I'm excited. But let me, to let me just kind of iterate direction. one thing on this because I want, like, I'm, I'm a consumer of Super Bowl ads. I have been since I was 10 years old and I just love it. I look forward to it every time. But the thought for the last four years is, man, that's all I could do. Like, why don't they just give all the money to a, a yep. YouTuber that actually knows how to entertain and let's give them the opportunity to entertain yes. because I just wasted all my time. I, 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 if I'm a brand, I'm a big Fortune 500 brand. I, I'm first, I'm calling up Jimmy, Mr. Beast, and I'm saying, hey, here's the 10 bucks. We're going to buy the $10 million spot for you. You have 30 seconds of ad time. Do what you want. I don't know how we're involved yet as our, for our brand, but like, we want you to take over that 30 seconds. Like, pitch us the idea. Yeah, and, like, and he you know, would literally own cool. the internet. <laughs> I, I, I think that's cool, but I still think that's a step backwards. And, and let me Going explain to broadcast? myself on that. Well, when it, when it comes down to is, you can have the impact of a Super Bowl ad every day yeah, but but, but but Ricky, but what, what I want, I, maybe you're misunderstanding. I want well, Super yeah. Bowl budgets oh, given yeah, to people that are actually creative. Well, no, no. <laughs> that's I, what I, I, I want. I to Zach's comment of, of like <laughs> having them do a Super Bowl ad. I'm like, well, that's that's great. But like, I think you can even get more impact, you know, than, as, you know, the, the actual ad. But because but, 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 like what's kind of amazing right now is that there is so much content today and running, you know, own, I mean, us, you know, managing like the biggest influencer marketing company that's out there. We're, we're probably the biggest by like probably a hundred percent with, with how, how much activations that we're doing, working with thousands and thousands of creators. And we're barely penetrating that blue ocean of content, barely. And there's, I mean, so it's like one of those things where if, if, if companies can become very data driven, they can literally get to the point where they're getting hundreds of millions of views a week. I mean, th I mean, yeah. that's what's out there today. And, and, um, and so the thing about like Super Bowl is, I mean, I think we're going to in like 20 years, look back and think, okay, that was cute because, yeah, I, because, I, I because the if, point... you, if you watch a Super Bowl ad, how many times do you watch until you're getting tired of it? Yeah. I think the thing for me was they're getting lazy, number one, yeah. um, and just don't even get me going on it. But it's like, oh, all we need is an A-list celebrity in the, the ad, and then it makes us and, relevant. And they were I'm golden. Like, <laughs> they, 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 like, that's, the, that's the most insane thing I've ever heard. But, but two, what if we gave Zach King $5 million for a 30-second spot? What could he do with that? You know, I, I'm interested in that because I can guarantee you – it's going to get a heck of a lot more attention and, and focus, not only in the Super Bowl, but everywhere online, on Reddit, on YouTube, on TikTok, everywhere, if he actually was enabled to $5 million. So, like, Zach, if we brought you $5 million, could you create something cool? I could rotate L.A., yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, if we were giving you, like, $5 million, I mean, you'd probably, you know, over the time period that you're spending it, or whatever you do with it, you could probably have something that has way more views than you could get on the Super Bowl. So, but but that's my whole point is I think that that um and 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 brands I think are lazy in some aspects and I think ad agencies are lazy in some aspects. We don't need to go into the particulars, but like what we want and what a brand wants is people to talk about them, right? In a positive way. And it, you you got that brand awareness and so on and so forth. Well, what, what's a better way to do it is to give it to a creative agency, having them put all this production in with hundreds of people for $5 million to have a 30 second spot or give Zach King with his, his department complete control over it and just have a couple, a couple things. We just want really good brand integration and do something creative and have the internet talk about it. I would rather watch that 100% of the time than, than some of the stuff that we're seeing now because I think the essence is 
is we're, we're at a point where they cannot go toe to toe creatively with the, the, the most amazing creators that are forced to do that twice a week, every week. Yeah. Cause uh, you have a creator doing, doing it. Someone that it, creates content um, to a community that loves it. Not, you don't, you're not getting an advertiser or a copywriter to, you know, try to get creative um, yeah. without any data point of reference of, of how people are going to re, re, respond to it. I mean, I, I agree. I mean, I mean, that, I mean, the, I mean, the, well, the can you make it happen? Like literally, let's just like this. Let's let's make this a case study. Find him five million dollars. Yep. Ricky, let's there's make a challenge. <laughs> you know, well, hey, the, the the future of advertising is entertainment. It's going to be, you know, having content creators creating the content or integrating what you want to do inside what they have already created. I, mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. So no, I I think we're all on the same page. That that sort of thing is starting to happen. Um, no, I, I believe brands like starting to the end of like next year with the trend that we're seeing with spends are going to get to the point where they're having hundred million plus budgets just for influencer and just for, you know, the, the, the creator community. It's, it's already going in that direction. The, um, this year there's going to be $702 billion spent on media. 13.5 billion will be spent on the creator economy or, or influencers we're going to be seeing that shift over because all of this media and, and what's expensive in media is a small fraction of eyeballs of what is a part of the creator community. And, 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 and just on YouTube alone, um, you know, I think it's like 85% of the views are creator views. That's bigger than Netflix, Amazon, and all of TV combined. We're going to be seeing this drastic shift and there's just going to need to be more infrastructure and, and, and brands and advertisers are going to have to change their ways when it comes to expectations and when it comes to control. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know. It'll be, it'll be interesting. I think there has been a lot of, of changes over the last few years and, and, and people are moving more in this direction. But it's I, more decentralized I, I mean, thinking seeing, rather than being a centralized. You yeah. Know. But I think it's just budgets. Like it's like, oh, yeah, we can do it for less and we get more of an impact. So let's go there. But my thought is, well, what if we give them a bigger budget? What can they do? I'm just mm -hmm. curious. I'd love to see it. And I, I, yeah. I anyway, I, I, no, I said my two cents. Get Zach five million dollars. Let's make it there. happen. No, there's definitely brand leaders out there that are starting to do that. Where there's like, okay, we we believe in you. We believe in what you're doing. Let's see what you'll do with you know this budget. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's going to become one of those things where it's going to be a much a much bigger thing. A much a, yeah. a much Com more common thing that brands will be doing. Well, I, I truly do believe that the influencer space, if you get the right brand, they could be a trillion dollar brand if they're working with 100%. the right influencers. 100%. Yeah. Like, I, I do believe it. But it, it needs to be at a level where they can create that's in line with that brand. And I, I just seen what, you know, just a small little channel Mr. Beast was able to do. And I'm like, I'm still blown away. Anytime you he says jump, on the internet jumps, you know. So I mean, you're right, because I think you could build a trillion dollar brand through this community because there's seriously more content than this world's ever seen before. And it's understanding how to navigate that decentralized content and understand how to monitor and how to prioritize it. Um, but it's, it's more than just trying to do one viral hit because you know, one hit wonders are forgotten. And you, you have to put together you know, a program that's very data driven and, and you got to look at it not as just getting the eyeballs, but truly building a sales channel. When, when, when CFOs of Fortune 500 companies really like, you know, you know, connect the two that this, you know, area of media is really what's going to be cleaning off the shelves in, um, in store, or, I mean, I mean, I mean, retail or, or, or e-commerce. Once they build the attribution infrastructure to do that, this 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 whole industry is going to go crazy and but by then the creators don't even need the money because they've already realized how to monetize off of their own products or potentially even their own platforms so it, it's a, it's a fun space to be in um zach where do you see it going i mean one where do you think the industry is going and then, then two are there other forms of video that that you're passionate about you know i'm, I'm figuring out like long form or like live streaming yeah, I've, I, I'm figuring out how right now, even still years into it, how to program a YouTube channel properly, you know, for us. And that that's really where the production pipeline meets the audience, meets all of our, our time and focuses and passion. 
um, as being creators. So right now, you know, we're trying to figure out how to do longer form stuff, and we're at the tipping point. You know, this isn't a, a brand piece, but figuring out how to actually self sponsor our own material. One of our biggest goals, and why I love having YouTube channel, Instagram, like all these direct published to the audience, is because we can we can speak directly with them, we can distribute directly to them, and in a way, you know, seeing different uh, streaming platforms deals come our way for original content but us we're hitting a, a point where we can actually say well we can actually match those budgets self-funded um why would we even bring the audience to you why wouldn't we just do this on our own platforms um so and i think we're seeing that world get very very a tipping point for a lot of creators being able to say you know if i if i can do the production myself and i can pay for it like why not own the content too? Um, that's exactly. really important for our long tail, our strategy. Um, so that's we're the next figuring wave. that, navigating that out. So we're at a place where we're, we're starting to make longer form stuff. We're still keeping up all the short form stuff. We're catering to YouTube audience and figuring out, like diving in again, almost back to filmmaking and teaching, um, getting other people inspired to create. Like that's a big goal of ours. And then all the other projects we're tackling, they're kind of side things. We're, that's where we're staying focused is we want to do you know, we've made 3,000 of these short pieces. We basically want to tell little stories around some of the special ones to us, um, flesh them out into some short films, maybe even some feature films, a lot of other material, and that's uh, that's where we're heading. Love it. So um, I, I, another question I have is a lot of people would look at your content and say, oh, okay, there's a couple people working on it. Like, what does it take for your company to create? Like how many, you know, you don't have to get into all the particulars, but I think uh, people need to know the vastness of some of these businesses that are content creators. Um, and there's a lot of moving parts, just not what you see just in a 15 second, 30 second, you know, video spot. Absolutely. There's a whole team behind the scenes that helped me. There's 25 of us um, full time that work on these things all the way from the writing room to the, the actual production. We have the trick engineers, there's all art department, props, carpenters, like all of these moving pieces in filmmaking have to come together for the thing to be made. And that's what I love about it. Like when I watch Jurassic Park as a kid and even watching the Mandalorian behind the scenes, it's like, it's practical, it's in camera. They're, 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 just, they're building the dinosaurs. Like that was so cool to me. Uh, instead of just being green screen and, and people in, in morph suits, like I love the practicality, the tactileness of filmmaking. And so there's a whole team here. We work together um, in the warehouse where we craft these things. But you know, the aesthetic is one that we want people, the audience, to watch and think. Maybe it is his wife holding the camera. Maybe it's just him and a tripod. Maybe it's him and a friend or a roommate. Like that's a, an aesthetic choice and a tonal choice for us in the work because we believe the magic is is paid off so much better if you feel like it's shot on a phone. You know, we exactly. we're, shooting, we're really shooting some of these things on Reds and Alexas, sideways, vertically mounted. Like it's a full-on movie production, but um, we we sometimes want the cameraman or camera gal to trip because it makes that filmmaking <laughs> feel like that shot feel real. Like what would a real person? Is it more relatable? How, yeah, it's it's more relatable, um, and it's it's that plays a little bit into the trickery, you know. If 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 too, if you watch um, a feature film or something big budget thing on Netflix, you know it's produced. You know how they're shooting that. There's no curiosity behind. You're not even wondering how how is Iron Man flying. Like you just know it's CGI. It's 3D. You chalk it up to it's a whole 200 million dollar production. But for us, we want you to wonder like wait, how is that, is he like, is he really flying? It looks like he's flying. It looks like it's shot on an iPhone 11 too. Like I don't understand. Um, so we, that's part of the, the aspect of making it relatable, more believable and um, kind of tr tricking them a little bit. Cause most people wouldn't expect that there's a crew behind these things. So I'm very curious because I mean, you have a pretty decent sized team, uh, a little bit bigger than I thought you, you would have uh, for the amount of content you put out there. But how many hours do you think you put into the seconds of, of a video? Oh, like, we never calculated. That would be fascinating, <laughs> Daryl. Um, it's got to be. So each piece usually takes one or two people a full month or two. So um, yeah. many, many hours per second, uh, you know, for, for each piece. It, it's, it's probably pretty wild. Yeah, and I think I think that's a I think that's an essence because there are some people will look look at a piece of content like oh okay just shot it on the phone it's so on and they don't realize that you know 
sometimes hundreds of hours with just all the manpower um, that was put into the production was was able to you know be showcased this way, and they don't see all the small little details. And I think the more that it looks like authentic and real, and it's not disruptive or oh he shot this on you know with a crane shot or whatever did this or that. It's just like no, like he did it on an, an iPhone 11. Um, I mean that's actually a little bit more difficult to pull off, you know, and yeah. to, to make that illusion. So I'm going to ask a, a, a random question. Um, just curious to it. see, you know, how you respond to this. Um, how would you describe your audience? Like, is there like a persona um, of, of, of people that watch your content and, 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 and um, you know, that you consider as like loyal, like, you know, loyalists in your community? Yeah, and the loyalists on the fan page are filmmakers. They're creatives. They're they they want to make something. They're not necessarily up and coming creators themselves, but they're they're artists. They, um, you know, for us, we found there's a, a big group of filmmakers that watch our stuff, especially our YouTube channel um, over the years, because we also, in particular, run a couple like monthly film challenges for them, where we get thousands of submissions and we feature them. The goal on the YouTube page is really to foster more filmmakers. So. Um, we noticed that audience and then it's in terms of the demo, it's really, uh, worldwide. You know, I talk to a lot of creators who will say, yeah, I have just have a U.S. audience or I just have a Canadian audience or it's very specific, but over the years, and this, this happened right around vine is when it turned to a global audience because we, we realized a lot of countries, um, like the Philippines won't, they won't watch a, a, a Vietnam and, and China. They don't watch a lot of U.S. content because of the language barrier. But for our work, you know, a lot of times we've crafted these things intentionally so that they don't have language. You know, a lot of my early vines, mm -hmm. I'd say, this is how I do. And I, I'd, I'd introduce, introduce with uh, dialogue. We've cut that out. So if it doesn't need dialogue, it's like if it doesn't have to hinge on that, we'd completely take it out. We try to play up, you know, almost the Charlie Chaplin or Buster Keaton moments mm -hmm. of it. Um, the George Melies, um visual comedy and style because it goes, it does appeal to people that don't speak English. So that's been important to us is figure out like, how could anybody watch this and enjoy it? Mm -hmm. where, where do you want to be 10 years from now? 10 years is too far. I don't think 10 years, but, but five years, um, I'd love to be making longer form stuff and, and, and be in a, in a place financially where all of our content could be created in house, could be funded in house. Maybe even the same team makes it in house and we are only um, reaching to outside resources if we really want that distribution or some other different uh, creative connection. So for us, that's where we're trying to get, uh, have a lot of freedoms in terms of the creativity and, and what we make here. Well, Zach, thank you so much uh, for, for your time and for your craft. Like I, what I, I know Ricky and I uh, get really excited when people are experts at their craft and um, I just, I just know that, you know, the thought process and the time and energy that you do to entertain and to really, you know, push the, push the threshold of what a creator can do on, on social media. I think, I think it's amazing. And I think that you're building something special because I think the content itself is, uh, it, you know, like, like what you said, it, it can go worldwide, you know, just based off of that. And there's not a lot of content that can do that, you know, and, yeah. and it's just, it's just great content and we really appreciate you jumping on for sure. Yeah. And, and Zach, you know, and I, and I say this sincerely, you know, we are witnessing the era of the artist right now. There's more art today and artists that are able to self-sustain. And I really do see you as, you know, one of those innovators that really helped this, this world of content explode. And I think you're going to be remembered for that. You know, in the next, you know, 20, 30, 50, next century. And um, so let's just get him the five million dollars, Ricky, so that he can yeah. create something amazing. <laughs> okay. Like, let's just right. let's just make hey, that yeah, happen right of, now. I have a couple of ideas. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, well, thank you guys for having me. It's been a pleasure. Well, perfect. Thank you all for watching the Creative Disruption Podcast. Make sure you like, follow, subscribe. You know what to do. And we'll see you on the next one. Thanks, everyone.